Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to do so after the service. Uh, welcome uh, to Phoenix Bible Church. We are uh, five weeks now into this new space. And so some of you showed up uh, because you literally found us this morning at our new space. And uh, it's a work in progress. We're still figuring things out like the AC. But amen. God bless. Hallelujah. It works today. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? If nothing else. Yeah, AC works. It's proof of God's glory, which we're going to talk about today, that there's AC in life. Uh, we appreciate you guys just walking in this journey with us in the middle of the summer as we acclimate to this new space. But wasn't that amazing? Uh, to talk about the reason why we are here, it's not for this space, it's not for a building, it's not, um, it's not to even stand up, sit down, sing, and read. It's for the glory of God. We just sang about it. In that song, you should have been moved to be reminded of the name of God, the worth of God, the value of God, the glory of God. He has no rival. I mean, just think about that. He is in a category of his own. If there was a hall of fame for God, he's the only one in there, right? There's no other rival. There's no other name. There's no other fame worth praising. And so whatever space we gathered in, whatever uh, standing up and sitting down, whatever our rhythm is, our, our, our purpose is to, to worship the glory of God. So I hope that's why you're here this morning. If you don't know Jesus, I hope by the end of this sermon, you, you come to know Jesus and you come to know his glory and you sing at the end of the service about that. That's why we're here today. That's, that's the new series we're starting. Ultimately, uh, it's, it's on worship, but ultimately it's about the glory of God. You see, even in a, a series on worship, we don't start with worship. We start with God. Because worship, true worship, doesn't exist without God. Right? So our, our culture worships things. We're all worshipers in some way or another. Maybe that is uh, a sports team that you follow. Maybe that is uh, the start of NBA free agency last night, and you're hoping LeBron James comes to your team. And you're up late at night looking on Twitter to see if that's happening. You're, you're worshiping with your time. You're worshiping with your attention. Whatever you give your attention, your time, your, your talent, your treasure to, you are worshiping something. But, but true worship doesn't exist without the one true God. So as we start a series on worship, we start a series on God. We talk about the glory of God, his worth, his significance. And that's what the glory of God is. Uh, the, the word in the original language in the Hebrew is this word kavod. The word in the New Testament and the Greek is this word doxa. And the word literally means by itself a, a weightiness or a heaviness. And what that's talking about in terms of, of the glory of God is the weightiness and the heaviness of God himself. Uh, the significance, the value, the worth of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Leanne read our passage, Psalm 24, 7 through 10, but we're going to be in several different verses as we kick off this series. But what you see in that passage, Psalm 24, 7 through 10, is God's described as the king of glory. The king of glory over and over. In fact, you see it in 7 and 8, those verses are really just repeated in 9 and 10. Did you notice that? 
Who is the king of glory? Open up the gates. Open up the doors. Who is this king of glory? Let the king of glory come in. It's really just repeated, and it's done so for emphasis. You see, the person who writes uh, Psalm 24 is King David. Even if you haven't grown up in church or been around the church, you probably know of a guy named King David, playing on a harp, right, doing his thing on a throne, man after God's own heart, King David, right? King David writes this psalm about the king of glory. You see, in that day, as he talks about opening up the doors, opening up the gates, there would have been a system when a king walked in the room, you would stand to the side and say, open up the gates, open up the doors, Someone significant is about to walk in. It's, it's the king. He has worth. He has value. He has significance, right? And so King David, very familiar with that as a king, so he says about God, he's not just glorious, he's the king of glory. And so we open up the gates, we open up the doors every day of our lives and say, hey, the king of glory is here. The king of glory is here. And we repeat it. For emphasis, just in case we forget. This morning, I, I want you to know and, and not be confused that we don't first come in here for the singing. Although the band did a great job, amen? Fantastic. Talented people, love them. Not just talented, but they have hearts that want to worship God. But we don't just come to hear the band. We don't do what many people do in growing up in church. I did this and other people would say this. We don't just come for the sermon. Right? Sometimes we say, like, well, if we just get there in time for the sermon, hey, hey honey, we're going to be late. Well, we'll get there by 1020. At least we won't miss the sermon. You ever said that? Listen, I want you to hear the sermon. It's not insignificant, but there's something more significant than our singing and our sermons. And it's the glory of God that, that when we open up these doors, we're saying, hey, open up the doors, open up the gates. The king of glory is here. His presence is here. And so when we come to church every Sunday, and if we're not careful, we can forget this and get into routine. When we come, we're not coming to hear singing. We're not coming to hear preaching. We're coming for an audience of one. And as we sing, we sing to him. And as we preach and read and pray, we're talking to him, the king of glory. We're elevating his name and his fame. And so as you participate in worship, that's why we invite you to do so. Not because it's the religious thing to do. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the glorious thing to do. And so we talk about worship because we want to talk about God and ascribe to him his worth. And that's our, our first point that we're talking about today is worth revealed. Worth revealed that if you uh, walked in with a Bible that looks like this, if you grabbed one of those two back tables, you should uh, do that every Sunday. We're always going to look at God's word. I guarantee you that will happen. Uh, so if you walked in with a Bible, it's really a, a library of books. Right? It's 66 books written by 40-plus authors over 1,500 years in three different languages. That's the Bible that you hold in your hand. And there's lots of threads through the Bible. You need to know the primary, the main overarching thread through all of the Bible is the glory of God. Like a thread on your shirt that you maybe start to pull. You ever done that? You see a thread, maybe you see one right now, and you're like, there's a thread on my shirt. And you just have to decide, do I pull this or do I not? Why? Because if you start to pull that thread, what happens? 
It keeps pulling. It keeps pulling. It keeps unraveling. And before you know it, if you pulled it all the way out, your shirt would unravel completely, right? Some of you have made that mistake. God's glory in Scripture is like that. That you start pulling the thread of his glory, everything comes out. Everything gets put on display. Right? From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, we see this thread running through all of Scripture of the glory of God. Right? And so as we look at God's glory, as we ascribe to him the glory due him, the first thing I want you to see as we see it revealed in Scripture is that it is intrinsic glory. It's intrinsic glory. That his greatness is in his very name, Deuteronomy 28. It's in his very holy nature and character, Exodus chapter 15. That God's glory is intrinsic. It's within him. It's in his very character. And so many times we think about the holiness of God or the character of God, and we think, well, God's perfect. He's without sin. And that's true, but it's so much glory, more glorious than that. You see, God in his very name and his very character and his very nature is glorious. That God is perfectly glorious in his love, in his power, in his knowledge, in his view of time. God is perfectly glorious in his very nature, in his very character and holiness. And this is different. This is what makes God's glory unique. If you think about the people that we ascribe glory to in our culture, and we do, just so you know, we do. Athletes, we do. We ascribe glory to them. We say they're great. We say about Michael Jordan, he's the greatest of all time. Now, some of you newbies might say that about LeBron James, but you need to go back and watch Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, all right? So we ascribe worth to people. We ascribe glory to people like athletes. We do that even here uh, locally, somebody like Frank Lloyd Wright. You guys heard of Frank Lloyd Wright? If you're new to Phoenix, you should go look at some of his buildings. They're amazing architecture, Right? Uh, musicians. We do this with lots of different people, but here's the thing about those people. As we ascribe glory to them, that glory wasn't intrinsic, it was developed. You see that? Wasn't intrinsic, it was developed over time. Like, did, did Michael Jordan learn how to, uh, did Michael Jordan jump from the free throw line and dunk a basketball day one of his life? No. Day 100. No. Like later on in life, after growing his muscles, right, after practicing the technique of basketball, then he learns, I believe I can fly, right? But he develops that over time. He wasn't born with that intrinsically. It developed. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright didn't come out of the womb writing amazing sketches of buildings that would come to fruition in Phoenix. And what did he do? He went to school. He probably had a mentor. He had a lot of practice. He probably had some buildings that didn't work out at first. But eventually, he becomes Frank Lloyd Wright. Right? Michael Jordan, eventually he becomes Michael Jordan. Right? God's different than that. Right? God's glory is intrinsic. It didn't even have a beginning. Even if I were to say, well, God, uh, God's glory began and it was the way it is now at the beginning... That's not even an appropriate way to say it because God never began. God is from all time. He is glorious from all time. He has never developed. 
God is never progressing. He is not like us. So it's not that God is, is perfect in his holiness in this way, but just watch out. It's about to get better. No. It was the way it was at the beginning. It's the way it is now. God is glorious intrinsically in his very nature. That's why we can say he has no rival. That's why we can sing he has no equal. Because as glorious as other things may appear, God's glory is intrinsic. And we know this in our culture because not only do we develop into glory, our glory dies eventually. Like literally dies, but even before it literally dies, it starts to fade. Right? That's why an actor who looks a certain way in his 20s will get certain roles that he won't get later in life. That's why a basketball player, as great as he is, Michael Jordan, for example, he comes back, he retires, he comes back, eventually he retires. His glory fades. God's glory, different, unique. It's intrinsic. It never fades. It never progresses. It's the same. And so God's glory exists intrinsically, but it's also displayed publicly. God's glory is everywhere. So earlier in Psalm 24, you see the, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. You see, all you have to look, do is look up to see the glory of God. Right? Romans 1 talks about this, that the creation reveals the glory of God, that, that anyone in any part of the world, all they have to do is look up at the sky to see the glory of God revealed, to see his worth. I remember when we first moved to Phoenix uh, four years ago, literally last week we moved to Phoenix, and I remember going for a run for the very first time in Phoenix and just being amazed at the, the blue color in the sky. Listen, that never ends. You notice that about Phoenix? I've lived in a, in a couple different places. Uh, I lived in Texas the majority of my life, and it's sunny in Texas. We have blue skies in Texas. But there's always a few little clouds. Right? There's days where it's full of clouds. And even on a full sunny day, there's a few little clouds, not in Phoenix. Hey, I'm, I'm sitting there running. I'm not sitting there. I'm running, right? That'd be a weird way to run. But I, I'm running, and I'm like, these blue skies never end. Like the heavens declare the glory of God. I remember walking at night with my kids. Uh, we lived in Ahwatukee when we first moved here, and we were kind of just out in the middle of nowhere, and we're taking a walk, and there's no city lights. There's no skyscrapers. or deep in the foothills of Ahwatukee. And we're going for this walk at night, and we just look up. And we're like, I don't think I've ever seen the stars like this. I don't think I've ever seen the moon like this. My son at the time we moved here was three years old. And he, he would say, uh, I see moon, I see moon. Like he'd never seen it before. Like somebody take a look, there's the moon. You see, the heavens declare the glory of God. God's glory is everywhere. All you got to do is look up. It's displayed publicly. It's within him intrinsically, but he's gracious enough to put it on display publicly. That everything good that you see in the world, not just in the sky, 
that everything good, every mountain you have stood before and felt small in front of, every beach, every ocean that you have walked up to and let the the water hit your feet, and many of you are doing that this summer, and amen. Every time you do that, every time you look out and see the expanse of God's creation, you should be reminded of his glory. Not just the gift of sunlight, not just the gift of the moon to light up the night, not just the gift of an ocean, not just the gift of an amazing mountain, not just the gift, but you should be reminded of the glory of God. It's put on display publicly for you to see and respond in worship. Psalm 33 says this, that by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, that their starry host came out by the breath of his mouth. Just by the breath of his mouth, the stars, the stars that we love to gaze at, reflect his glory. Hebrews 1 says, God upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's a few hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. There's hundreds of billions of galaxies, period. Some we don't even know about. God said, I did all that. That's all because of me. My power, my organization is made known through creation. It's put on display just by his breath, just by his word. Think about that. God didn't move a finger. He just spoke it into being. Don't think about that too much. You might just get really confused. But that's, that's the infinite value, worth, and glory of God put on display publicly for us to see. Third thing is we see the, the worth revealed is it's not just intrinsic, it's not just public, it's personal. It's personal to people through Jesus. Like when God wanted to manifest his glory, make visible his glory, how does he do it? Through a man. God becomes man so we can see his glory. And so we can see his glory is not just public, but personal. Hebrews 1.3 says it this way, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. You see, here's what's amazing about the glory of God. God could have wielded his glory for just power alone. You think about this? God could have wielded his glory for just destruction alone. He could have just brought tsunamis and tornadoes and every natural disaster you could think of. And to say, God, you are, you're glorious. But how does God wield his glory? How does God steward his glory? He sends his son. He manifests, he makes visible his glory through a person, Jesus Christ. Fully man, fully God. Why? Because God's glory, just as it's intrinsic, just as it's public, it's, it's personal. I, I love this about God's glory that Philippians 2 says Jesus empties himself of it. It doesn't mean he doesn't, he's not God anymore. It just means he, he experiences pain like you and I do. And he goes to a cross. He cries. He weeps. He becomes like us to show us who he is. He's personal. 
And so not only does he not wield it for destruction, God, God wields his glory for grace. Uh, Ephesians 1, it talks about the praise of his glorious grace. The praise of his glorious grace. You see, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you just see Jesus and, and God, you just see it as this, this big figure in the sky, the man upstairs, the one controlling things, the, you need to look at the glorious grace of Jesus. Because his grace descended, condescended to you so that you could know him. Despite your flaws and failures, to the praise of his glorious grace. See, what I love about the glory of God is it is the powerful, destructive wrath of God, but it's also the grace and the goodness of God. Moses, at one point in the Old Testament, he asked to see, not, not at one point, a couple times, he asked to see God's glory. Uh, ultimately, he wants to see God's face, and, and God says, I'm not going to let you do that. Uh, you see my face when you're dead. You don't want to do that right now. Uh, but at one point, he asked to see God's glory, and, and God says something really interesting. He says, my glory is my goodness that's passed before you. And what he's saying is that all these things I've done for you, I split the Red Sea, I rescued your people, my goodness, I brought you manna from the sky. You want to see my glory? You see my goodness. And, and even though Moses doesn't get to see the face of God while he's alive, it's sufficient for him. You think about Moses? Moses wrote the first five books of our Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote all of that without fully seeing the face of God, without fully seeing his glory yet, just by seeing his goodness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was formless and void. The brilliance of those first five books of the Bible came just from the goodness of God on display in Moses' life. God's glory is gracious. God's glory is personal, primarily through Jesus Christ. Now, how does this affect your life? As we start a series about worship and we start specifically on the glory of God, maybe if you're like me, you're saying, okay, Tim, that's great. God is glorious. What does that mean for my life? Maybe you even felt that tension this morning. Maybe you felt that tension as we sang about the glory of God. You didn't raise a hand. You didn't elevate your voice. You kind of stood with your hands in your pockets and were pretty comfortable. You should feel a tension there. Why don't I care more about the glory of God? Well, the first reason you should care about it is because God intrinsically is glorious and it does affect all of creation, but there, there are some ways that this does directly affect us. God's glory is not about us, but it does benefit us. I'm going to give you a couple ways how in our time today. Uh, we're going to look at the worth of God applied. The worth of God applied gives us, first of all, appropriate fear. Psalm 33, we quoted it earlier, when, when God blows the starry host into the sky. A little bit later, it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. And so God's glory is not about you, but it does benefit you. It benefits you by giving you appropriate fear of God. Now, some of you say, well, Tim, that doesn't sound like good news. 
right? How is this good news that I, I fear God because he is glorious? Well, listen, if, if we miss the glory of God, if we miss the fear of God, here's what's at stake. You will fear someone, but it will be a lesser God. Now, here's what I mean. All of you have experienced this at work. You're late on a project, and that boss walks into the room and says, how are we doing on that project? What wells up within you? Some fear. Well, I'm late. Well, my, my kid, this happened, and you, you just start to wallow in a little bit of fear. You see, we all fear someone. We all fear some kind of God in our life, whether it's a boss, whether it's somebody in charge of us. We have some sort of fear, and if we don't fear God, we will be controlled by the fear of lesser gods. So what that boss says in response to you will dictate the rest of your day. Right? Whether you get that promotion or not will dictate your worth in life. And so it's important that you fear the appropriate God, that we fear the one and only true God, because as we fear him, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, then when the boss comes in and asks about the project, even if we're late on it, we feel not fear but freedom to say, you know what, boss, I'm late on that. And we're not living or dying. We're not rising or falling with that response from the boss. No, why? Because we have a, a greater God that we fear appropriately. He's the only one who blew the stars into existence. He's the one we should fear. So we have an appropriate fear. I think we've lost some of this in our culture. I think it shows itself sometimes in our, in our movies. There's a movie my kids watch, uh, the Lego movies. And I can't remember which one it is, but there's one uh, Lego movie that has this song, Everything is Awesome. You know that song? Everything is Awesome. And I think whoever wrote that song should have been thinking about our culture because that's the way we live in our culture, isn't it? Everything is awesome. This, this uh, pho is awesome. We take a picture of it, post it on our IG, Insta. Right, kids? Is that, is that cool? Okay. Um, Everything is awesome. Wow, this is awesome. We're, we're, we're saying this is, we're all inspired. That's what awesome means. We're all inspired by this, whatever that is. It's, it's awesome. And we give it this, this greatness. We ascribe to it some glory. We even ascribe to it sometimes some fear, some reverence. Like, that is, how awesome is that? That's so awesome. I saw this in the news just yesterday. Uh, I was looking at my news feed, and I'll just read you some of the headlines. Uh, the first headline was, a notorious gangster escapes French prison via helicopter. It's a little scary. Um, that, that was one headline. Um, the next headline was, two meteorite-like objects were discovered in India. Did you see that? Probably didn't, and here's why. Because the biggest headline on this page, listen, People answer Paris Hilton's request to tell her something she doesn't know. So there were several news items. Notorious gangster escapes prison. Two meteorite-like objects potentially discovered in India. Things may be falling out of the sky, small ones, but maybe bigger ones in the future. The biggest headline, the most cover page. 
Paris Hilton responds to saying there's some things she doesn't know about life. Now, even as I say that, some of you are like, what Paris gangster or what French gangster? What, what meteorite? Some of you are looking it up on your phone right now. Right? Wait till later. The, the reason you don't even know that, listen, is because everything is awesome. Paris Hilton, awesome. Right? That we have gotten confused of what should be awe-inspiring, of what should give us some fear and reverence. We've gotten confused that we don't even think about gravity anymore. We don't think about how the sun rises or falls. We don't think about what would happen if God, who upholds everything by the word of his power, let go. We don't even think about that. It never crosses our mind. You see, there's only one thing that's awesome. There's only one thing that's worthy. It's God Almighty, the one who controls it all. The one who, if he let go, everything would crumble. We need to consider that. We need to have an appropriate fear, reverence, seriousness for the glory of God, do you? How can you fit that in your life? How can you start that in your life? Where you, you don't start with the other things that are so-called awesome. You start with an irreverence, a fear of the awesomeness, the grandeur, the greatness, the glory of God. That's worth applied. Uh, worth applied is also not just appropriate fear. It's a sustaining joy and purpose. Isaiah 43, 7 says this, you were created for the glory of God. So, so as we talk about worship over the next six weeks, worship isn't just an activity, it's your identity. You are a worshiper. Now, we're going to talk about that next week, that we're wired for worship, so I won't get into that today. But worship is your identity, right? That you were created for this very purpose, and this purpose is designed to fulfill you. You were made by God for God, which means anything else you give your life to will lead to frustration and disappointment. C.S. Lewis said it this way, that nature creates a longing in the soul of man that it cannot fulfill. And all of us have experienced this at some point in time. I know I was at the airport recently, and I happened to sit next to a Starbucks. And I'm sitting next to this Starbucks, and it was 8.30 p.m., and this Starbucks closed at 8 p.m. And the reason I know it closed, because I walked up and tried to get my caffeine on. And it was closed, and I was very disappointed, right? So I did what I'm going to describe other people did. But because I sat next to it, what I got to see, what I got a front row seat to, was everyone come up to the Starbucks and ask, you guys open? And them say, no, we closed at 8 p.m. Now, they had lights on the signs, which they should have turned off, right? They were still standing behind the desk with their outfits on, which they shouldn't have done, right? So everybody thought they were opened. And I just got to see moment after moment, person after person, walk up to this Starbucks, and you saw it in their face, the exuberant joy and hope for caffeine. You saw it literally as you walked up. People were either getting off the plane or getting ready to board a plane, and you saw them walk up to Starbucks and begin to think about that mocha. You saw the excitement on their face, but I also saw, because I had a front row seat, I also saw the Starbucks barista kill that exuberant joy. 
when they said, no, 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 sorry, we're closed. And what was so funny to see was some people didn't believe it. They still walked through the little line and just stood up there. No, you can, can I get an ice water? No, we're closed. Because they didn't want to believe it. And you saw this, this rise in joy and this dip of disappointment, right? That's a microcosm of our entire culture. We rise and fall because of caffeine. We rise and fall because someone talks to us or doesn't. Well, we rise and fall because of that work assignment, because of that project. We rise and fall because someone doesn't say something when we think they should. We rise in our joy, we dip in our dis disappointment every single day. And part of the reason why we do that is because we are looking for something to fulfill us, something to validate us that was never intended to, that can't. Your spouse, as great as they are, on their best day, cannot fulfill you. But if you look to that person to do that, if you look to that person instead of the person of God to fulfill you, you always will be disappointed. And so God's glory gives us appropriate fear, but it also gives us a sustaining joy. Psalm 16, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. For a little while, God? No, no, forevermore. God created you for his glory. God made you for his glory. God designed you to find joy, sustainable and lasting joy only in him. So if you look outside of him for that, you'll always rise and fall. You'll always ebb and flow. But if you look to him, you'll always have a joy in you that even when things don't go well, even when your circumstances are poor, your condition could still be positive and confident. Why? Because of the glory of God in you, the hope of glory in you. For me, one of the greatest influences on my journey with Jesus early on was a pastor and author named John Piper. He said this, that, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Again, I don't want to get into that too much because we're going to talk about that over the next six weeks. But God's glory and your joy don't have to be separated. You find joy because you find God's glory. As you get more of God's glory, you get more joy. Irenaeus said this, God's glory gives you, um, God's glory, uh, the glory of God to start with the right statement. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. That your laughter can give glory to God. That when you experience the goodness of God, the joy of God, that gives God glory. God's glory gives you sustaining joy. It gives you sustaining purpose. Psalm 29 says this, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And listen, as we do that, as we do that through singing, through shouting, through kneeling, through giving, through serving, through living. As we ascribe to God the glory due his name, it's not because he needs it. It's because you need it. Remember, God's glory is intrinsic. He is glorious whether you give it to him or not. God's glory, ascribe it to him, that gives you purpose. It's not because he needs it, it's because you need it. You and I need to know and need to live as if something is bigger than us. We need to know that God can use us in mighty ways 
even amidst our failures. That's God's glory. That's living for God's glory. We need to know we're not here by accident. Our life isn't meaningless. And we can know that. Why? Because God, just as he created you as an image bearer, he created you to reflect his glory. So that means every man, woman, and child has a purpose in God. Despite your failures, you need to know this morning, despite your flaws, despite your sin, God has a greater purpose than you. It's bigger than you. Uh, Billy Graham, who just died recently, 99 years old, he was on the most admired list more than any other celebrity, president, king, Billy Graham. Billy Graham was made famous for making someone else famous. Billy Graham had a purpose that was bigger than him, right? So much so that our our world recognized that and said, man, there's something different about this guy. There's something bigger. All of us, whether you're Billy Graham or not, have that same opportunity to have an eternal purpose given to us by God. We see that in that everything matters, even the little moments. 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whether you eat or drink, you can do it all for the glory of God. You can do it all with a purpose, that the most basic things we do, eating and drinking, can be purposeful because of the glory of God. Uh, this week, my wife and I were at a conference of our church network. Our, we're part of a church network uh, called Converge, and they start churches, they strengthen churches, they send out missionaries really all over the world. So we're not on our own in this as Phoenix Bible Church. We do have partners And so we went to the national conference my wife and I did this week. Uh, And what I was so struck by is their desire to send out missionaries to reach the lost people groups of our world. I'll just give you some quick stats. In our world today, there are around 16,500 people groups. So when uh, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, people groups, ethnos, he's talking about all the different groups of people all over our world. And right now, today, there are 16,500 people groups in our world. That equates to 7.3 billion people in our world. Okay, 7.3 billion people, 16,500 people groups. Right now, as well, there are 6,847 unreached or unengaged people groups. That equates to 2 billion people. So 7.3 billion people in the world, 2 billion people that are unreached or unengaged. Here's why this matters. In Togo, Africa, we listened to one missionary talk. In Togo, Africa, uh, which is not a very safe place, and he talked about that. His family lives there. He has kids. He talked about how sometimes there's places you don't go. There's things you don't do. Christianity is not a popular thing. But slowly over time, the glory of God has been made manifest in and through them, and that's changing. And so he talked about literally that people's response as they came to know Jesus and the glory of God, one of the first things they did was burn their idols. We don't really get that in our culture because most of you don't have a statue on your desk that you worship, right? We do have other things that we worship. We have other idols. Uh, But in this context, Togo, Africa, one of these groups that needs to hear about the Jesus Christ that many of you and I are so familiar with, they burn their idols. And as I think about that, and I think about the two billion people who are worshiping idols, whether it's a statue or whether it's not, 
that need to hear about the glory of God. John Piper, the guy I mentioned earlier, he said this, that missions exist because worship does not. The reason we do missions is so that more people will worship. So the people in Togo, Africa, so the people in, in Spain, so the people in Central America will worship God. The goal of missions is worship. The goal is that whether you physically burn an idol, you would burn one down in your heart. That everyone on earth would realize their sustaining joy, their eternal purpose is found in the glory of God, an audience of one. Listen, I, I don't know where you are on your journey. Maybe you, for the first time, you need to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Maybe you get that, say, hey, Tim, I need to do that better. I need to figure out how to sing, shout, kneel, serve, give, pray, live for the glory of God. I need, to, I need to do that better. I'm excited about this series to do that better. Maybe you would say I'm a Christian, but I need to glorify God better in my life and figure out rhythms uh, to do that in my life. Maybe you would say that. There's some ways to do that, and one of those ways is to help other people glorify God. And so as a part of this uh, church network, Converge, we give money to do that. We give 2% of our budget to send out missionaries to places like Togo, Africa. Uh, 90% of the missionaries we support through our church are going to these unreached people groups, these 2.1 billion, 2 billion people that don't know Jesus yet and haven't heard about them. Right, so I'm excited that we're a part of that collectively, but we have an opportunity to do that here even locally. We told you about it uh, last week. Uh, I won't get into it right now. You can go back and listen to the beginning of that sermon, but all the kids and families at the border, the 2,000 or so specifically kids, that we want to ascribe glory to the name of God, not just by serving God and worshiping God ourselves, but by sending other people to help others do that. One simple way that we're going to do that today, uh, if you walked in, you should have seen a box with some supplies in it, and we're asking you to give supplies to these 2,000 or so kids at the border. It doesn't matter what you think. Again, go back and listen to the sermon about political party, about even nationality. What I want you to dive into is Christianity here and love our neighbors by, by showing them the glory of God as we love them and point them to his worth and his glory. And so maybe you're thinking, Tim, I didn't know about this. We sent a few posts out about it. But if you didn't know about this, we're going to be doing this for the next few weeks. Um, so I would encourage you to participate in, in this as we love our neighbors and show him that we ascribe worth and glory to the God of the universe. And we want them to see that too. And they won't see it. They won't see it unless the church rises up to declare and demonstrate the glory of God. This is one way to do that. And so we're going to talk about through the rest of this series all the different ways to do that with our minds, with our affections, with our will, with our wallet. We're going to talk about all of that over the next five weeks, so I encourage you to join us for the rest of the series. We journey through the glory of God and our response to him, which is worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your glory. I thank you that you give us the opportunity to see your glory on display, that we get to respond to that with singing yes. And God, I pray as we sing in response to you now, we would be reminded of your glory and it would stir our hearts and it would activate our voices to ascribe worth literally with our words in these next few moments. So God, I pray that we would do that. But God, I pray it wouldn't stop with our singing, it would continue with our sending. As we demonstrate your glory to 
the kids at the border, to our neighbor when we go home, that, that there's other people who have never heard about your glory. They've never heard about your glory manifested through Jesus Christ. And we want to change that as we worship you, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. God, we have this morning and throughout the week an audience of one, and it is you, and you are glorious. Help us to put that glory on display in the way that we live, the way that we sing, the way that we pray, in everything we do, whether we eat or drink, may we glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray.